I think at some point in everyone's life, you've had a time where you've struggled with your faith, um, where you know, you've faced a tragedy, and you start asking God the why questions. Why did this happen to me, God? Why? 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 And sometimes we face it when tragedy strikes, and sometimes we face it when we fail God, and we let those around us down. We're going to see today someone from the Bible who had a faith crisis, a lot like what maybe we would have today. Let's keep, let's read here. They will be in John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. After what? After what is, what is John talking about here? He's talking about after the resurrection, the ultimate revelation, Jesus raises up from the grave. And when you're reading the Gospel of John, you get to chapter 20, and you think the book is over. But the resurrection, you know, at this point, the resurrection has happened. Jesus has appeared to all the disciples. And at the end of chapter 20, John kind of makes this grand concluding statement. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The end of chapter 20, that seems like, like a, a concluding verse. But John continues on. You know, if you're writing the musical score of the book of John at this point, the music would crescendo, the credits would roll in, and you would think that it was over. But he continues writing to chapter 21. So why this additional chapter? Why does John give us one more chapter at the end of his gospel? Well, there's been one key guy noticeably absent in the narrative of John after the resurrection, and it's Peter. Peter is such a presence throughout the gospel, but the last real mention of Peter is Peter making a fool of himself before the crucifixion. Jesus had told his disciples that they would all forsake him. And Peter stands up and he declares boldly, even if all you other fools out there forsake Jesus, I'm not going to. He makes this bold statement. Even if all you other losers will, I won't. And Jesus is like, actually, Peter, you're going to be the worst one. You're going to be worse than everybody else. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And Peter's like, Psh. Yeah, right. Not going to happen. Whatever, no way, I'm all in. And he kind of flexes his spiritual muscle there in the upper room in front of everyone. And a few hours later, he's standing around a fire. And a couple of teenage girls say, hey, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter's like, what, who, me? No, I, I wasn't one of them. Never heard of him. And this happens three Times. And as soon as the third denial comes out of his mouth, what does he hear? The rooster crow. Peter was humiliated, embarrassed, and he knew that he had failed Jesus in the worst possible way. So this gospel would not be complete in the mind of John unless... He addressed Peter. 
unless Peter was brought back into the gospel. And that's because this gospel is not just about Jesus' story. It's about our story as well. Everything has changed, but it hasn't changed for Peter just yet. And this gospel is incomplete until the resurrection has been applied to Peter. This is where the resurrection meets real life. And I think this is something that we can see in John chapter 21 that meets our real lives as well. Before we look at it, let me ask you, have you ever been there where Peter is? Mr. Bold, Miss Confident, some big promise. I'll never deny you Jesus, but then you're an abject failure, embarrassing yourself. You caved, you fell back into the temptation again. You embarrassed yourself before God. I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all struggled there. You think you've got it. And then John 21 is for all of us. Let's keep reading here. It said, He revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, how would you have liked to have been those ones that were two others of his disciples? Everyone else gets their name thrown in, but you're just one of those two others of disciples. You know, everyone else gets named, but there's Simon, Thomas, Nathaniel, and there's all those two other guys. It's kind of like whenever someone posts a picture on Facebook or Instagram, and you're in the picture, and they crop you out of the picture. You're like, hey, I was in that picture, and I got cropped out. That's kind of like how I think these guys felt here in the, in the Gospel of John. So he says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. You know, fishing is what Peter did before he met Jesus. Peter, depressed over his failure, is going back to his pre-Jesus life. And they said, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat. They fished all night, and they caught nothing. He went back to his old life, but it wasn't the same anymore. He fished all night and caught nothing. How about that? I think that's happened to many of us. We're discouraged and we go back to our old life and we don't find the same enjoyment in our old way of life as what we find now after we've met Jesus. You go all night and find nothing. This is like the worst place to be. You've seen too much to ever be happy again in your old life. You've experienced too much of Jesus to be happy in your old life, but you are too discouraged to keep going forward. Verse 4, it says, But just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, you would have to think, at this point, they would know that it was Jesus, because this is the same thing that Jesus told them to do when he called them to be his disciples. You know, this, that has to be kind of what, like one of the worst things you could do for a fisherman. You've got to, now, just think about how frustrated it is. If you've ever you know, worked at your job, 
and you're trying to solve a problem, maybe in today's world it's a technology problem, a networking issue, or something of that nature, and you've tried and tried and tried, and you're just frustrated, and you're like, I'm done. And someone comes along and says something simple that almost seems stupid, and you're like, why would I do that? Why would I cast my nets on the other side of the boat? Jesus, knowing they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing, <laughs> he knows that they didn't catch anything, but he still asks them, hey, did you catch anything? Then he offers them some fishing advice. Try the other side. And so, it says, in the next part of the verse, so they cast it. And now they were able, not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat. Now, I find this kind of funny. Peter just automatically jumps into the water and starts swimming, and all of the other disciples are rowing back to shore in the boat. You have to think, as they're rowing, they're looking at Peter down, they're like, dude, you could have just stayed in the boat with us. We'll get there at, you know, at the same time. That's kind of my, my thought of, of, what's, of what's happening here. They're rowing alongside of them. And I'll show you how this is significant and why John didn't leave this out here in just a moment. And so they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. I love how John captures this. 153 of them. He was I can't get it out. Specific. Thank you. Man, tongue tied this morning on the number of fish that were in the nets. Peter gotten out of the water from his swim. He's back in from, full, from hauling in the full net of fish. And watch this. Watch what characterizes Peter in these verses. It's strenuous effort. He's the one who's swimming. He's the one who's hauling in the net. He's, uh, he's, I got it, Jesus. Look at me. I'm swimming. I'm the one who's hauling. There's, what, six, eight other guys in the boat? But it's John recording saying it's Peter doing all of this. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing there on the shore <laughs> with breakfast already prepared for Peter. Jesus doesn't need Peter's fish. But did you notice the detail in verse 9? that Jesus already had fish in the fire. Where did he get them? Who knows? He's Jesus. They could just hop up out of the water and jump on his fire. He's Jesus. The contrast in the chapter is between Peter's feeling like he needs to prove himself and Jesus' invitation. You see, Peter has failed Jesus in such an awful way earlier. And he feels like, I've got to make my right wrong. For Peter, his relationship to God has always been about working. 
proving himself, being the best. But Jesus is not asking Peter to prove anything. He doesn't even need Peter's fish. Jesus came to Peter. He prepared a table for Peter, but Peter doesn't get that. So he's still doing everything. He's still swimming and hauling fish. You know, and I think this is how Peter misunderstood the gospel message up until this point. This story was so foundational for Peter. This was not the first time Jesus had done this whole cast your net on the other side of the boat, Peter. When Jesus first called Peter to follow him, he told him to cast the nets on the other side of the boat. And the same thing happened. At that point, realizing the glory of who Jesus was, that he could even command the fish, he fell on his face and he told Jesus way back then, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Seeing the glory of Jesus made him want to run away. Now seeing the glory of Jesus this time, what does it do differently? It makes him want to draw close to Jesus. His heart response has changed with Jesus. That is the beginning of the gospel. Your sin doesn't make you fear God and want to run away from him. Instead, you sense the tenderness and love of the Father, and you want to be close to him. Peter gets that, but he still hasn't found the rest in the gospel. He knows God loves him, but he's still doing everything he can to try to prove himself. And that's so many of us. You know there's grace and love in God, and you want to draw close to him, but you never really rest in him. You do not rest in him that he has finished the work of your salvation. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. The gospel is that Jesus provides salvation as a gift when we accept his finished work on the cross. The work is complete. There is nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. He doesn't even need the fish you caught. He can wave his finger and make 153 of them jump in the net. He would make a few hop up on the shore and onto the fire if he wanted to. He could take one and he can multiply it. Understanding Jesus, understanding the nature of the gospel leads you to a profound rest. A rest in your spirit. I love this picture uh, breakfast on the beach. To me, it just seems restful. Peter's not there yet, even though he's really zealous for Jesus. And neither are many of you. This rest. Rest is the last word we would use to characterize so many of us. We live in such a restless society. You constantly feel disturbed, guilty, overwhelmed, always needing to prove yourself, always feeling like there are more things that you should be doing. Listen, Christians, we should work hard, but with an entirely different spirit than Peter has here. We work hard not to be accepted by God, but because we have already been accepted by God. We work out of our gratitude for what God has done for us, not to receive his love. It's a completely different mentality. Not to earn God's approval, but because we have it and we love him in response.
Let's see what Jesus says to them as they get out of the boat. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I love this passage. The gospel says that when Jesus asked him the third time, it's like Peter became upset. He sees, and why is he upset? Because he sees the corollary between his night when he betrayed him and what Jesus is doing here on the shore. Between the number of times Jesus is asking him this question, whether he would love him three times because he denied Jesus three times. The fact that Jesus appears to set this whole situation up to remind Peter of his failure. He asked him the question around the fire. Where had Jesus, or where had Peter denied Jesus around a fire? He said, do you love me more than these? Referring to the other disciples. And Peter's exact words to Jesus had been, even if all of these denied you, I wouldn't. <laughs> Those were his words before he denied Jesus. Do you really love me more than these do, Peter? How well did you do boasting, Peter? It's, he's reminding him of his failure. Why is Jesus doing this? Is it cruel? Is he trying to embarrass Peter? No. It's actually tenderness. Jesus is trying to show Peter that the basis of his acceptance is not on his performance. Jesus' love and acceptance are given as a free gift by Jesus. And how reassuring to us is that? knowing that we fail Jesus time and time and time again. Friends, if the gospel has one agenda in your life, it's to convince you that your performance is not the basis of your acceptance before God. And so God allows you to fail so that you can see that in his grace, not your righteousness is the basis of your acceptance. It's on the grace of God. The biggest enemy to the gospel is self-sufficiency, and some of you are eaten up with it. It's not your sin that keeps you from Jesus, it's your self-righteousness. Some of you have built your identity on being sufficient to the task. You are a self-made man, you are always capable, always prepared, always on the top end of the curve, always the one who cons consistently finishes first, and praise God for that, but it's keeping you from resting completely on God and nothing else for your salvation. Every morning, I pray that my kids will learn to love God's grace 
understand and love his grace. It is easier to escape from unrighteousness than it is from self-righteousness. Verse 18, let's see how this finishes up. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. He's telling Peter here, Peter, one day, you denied me before, but there's a day coming when you will not deny me and you will die for me. You'll have the courage to die for your faith, to die in the worst possible way. And you may think that as bad news, but it is good news. He's telling Peter that one day, Peter, you would make good on that promise not to deny me. Even when people stretched out his hands, and history tells us, the writers of history, not the Bible, but outside writers of history tell us that Peter died on a cross with his hand stretched out. And Peter said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. And so they turned him upside down and crucified him. That posture, he's saying toward me, will give you the strength to die for me. Peter thought his strength came from being a man who proved himself to be better than others. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. Jesus told him his strength would come from relating to him the way a child relates to a loving parent. Don't miss this. How did Jesus turn Peter, a guy who was so shaky he'd deny him three times in one evening, to one who would have the strength to face the awful death of a cross? How did Peter change? He changed through one way, through grace. He understood God's grace. When Peter stretched out his hand in his own strength, he said, look how mighty I am. What happened? He denied Christ. But when he stretched out his hands in intimacy to Jesus, like a child stretches out toward a parent, he would have the strength faith to follow Jesus to the cross. Jesus chose Peter to lead his church not despite of his failures but because of his failures. His failures would put him in touch with God's grace and God's grace is where leaders real strength comes from and it's a church leader's most valuable resource to be able to help others in need and only you can pour God's grace into other people when you have an understand. God's grace. Mark this, it was not Peter's successes that made him a great leader. It was his failures because his failures were a gateway to God's grace. And the same is true with you. You see, the enemy schemes to keep us from this kind of relationship with Jesus. Satan wants to take our failures and try to get us to go back to fishing. He tries to get us to return back to our old way of life, but there's nothing there. And we know that. Nothing there that's going to bring us joy and satisfaction. Why? Because we've experienced Jesus. We know how good Jesus and his grace is. 
the gospel is an invitation to us to rest in Jesus, to put faith in the gospel, to rest in his, in his love. I mentioned it before, but I love that image of the breakfast on the beach, a time of friendship and fellowship, rest and love. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? When you think about your relationship? I've heard it said that perhaps the hardest thing in Christianity to do is to embrace the free, unmerited nature of God's love. Christ's righteousness given to you as a free gift. Undeserved. Not a single person on the face of this earth deserves God's grace. But he gives it to us so freely. That is the gospel for some of you, your spiritual life has always been about performance. In fact, you're here this weekend as some kind of penis. You, maybe you thought, if I go back to church a little bit, he'll like me again. If I give a little money, start acting a little better. If I start doing all of these terrible things, then maybe God will like me just a little bit more. But you see, that's not how it works. He gives you salvation as a free gift despite your sin, despite where you are right now. And in response, what do we do? We fall on our face in worship to such a gracious, loving, holy God. We stretch out our hands to him in total surrender because he really is all that we need. He's all that we need to face this life. So I ask you today, have you ever repented of your sin, accepted the free gift of salvation that only Jesus provides? Let's pray. God, we thank you that your spirit impressed upon John to write John chapter 21 and not stop with John chapter 20. Because this story of Peter is our story. It's a story of failing you and you forgiving us. It's a story of we cannot do this life on our own. We need your grace, your love, and your mercy. God, if there's someone here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today will be their day of salvation. That they'll stop trying to do life by themselves. That they'll stop thinking that they're self-sufficient. That they can obtain salvation by their good works. Because we know that's not possible. It's only through Jesus. God, for those in here who are believers... God, I pray that our relationship with you would be like that of breakfast on the beach. That we find our rest in you. That we find our sufficiency for life in you and your word. Knowing that you're all powerful and that you are there with us. God, we thank you that we're able to meet together and share this time in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name.